I love these old songs and what an encouragement, what a blessing uh, they are to our hearts. And uh, I, I encourage you, uh, get you a songbook at home and uh, just uh, sometime pull them out together as a family. Some of my uh, really fondest memories with our family have been times that, uh, that one of my girls would sit at the piano and uh, play songs and we'd gather around and just sing together these uh, songs of faith and uh, just encourage our hearts. And so you want to do that as a family. You want to sing and, and uh, have a heart of singing. And you know, there have been times uh, I've taken a psalm book and I would not share with anybody when uh, because I don't want you to come and sneak in on me, but I've taken a psalm book and just come up here to this pulpit. And in my mind, I was the best singer ever, just enjoying uh, singing these songs, even though I couldn't keep a tune, but I was having a good time with the Lord. My heart was encouraged just uh, singing songs. So very important to, to have a heart and sing unto the Lord. I want you to turn your Bibles this morning with me to the book of Acts, uh, chapter number 12 today, Acts chapter number 12. And uh, when you find your place, uh, if you would stand with me, I don't know if I ever had you sit down uh, from singing the songs. And so if I didn't, uh, I'm sure you've sat down by now. So you can stand with me as we read uh, together the, the Word of God, Acts chapter 12. And I'm going to begin reading in the first part of the chapter. And the Lord is, has just put upon my heart uh, here today that I would uh, preach concerning a prayer and I think we have a great need today of prayer and of God's people seeking the face of the Lord. And, and there's some really important principles that uh, we're going to look at this morning in this passage of Scripture, really a neat passage of Scripture. Acts chapter 12, I'm going to begin at verse number 1. And it reads, Now about that time Herod the king stretched forth his hands to vex certain of the church. And he killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. And because he saw it pleased the Jews, he proceeded further to take Peter also. Then were the days of unleavened bread. And when he had apprehended him, he put him in prison and delivered him to four quaternions of soldiers to keep him, intending after Easter to bring him forth to the people. Peter, therefore, was kept in prison, but uh, here is the statement I want you to see this morning. But prayer, but prayer was made without ceasing of the church unto God for him. We're, we're going to look at that, that thought and, and just kind of break down this uh, particular chapter, the first part of this chapter, and, and just look at that thought, but prayer, the importance of prayer, the power of prayer this morning. If you would join me, let's go to the Lord in prayer, and you ask the Lord for his way in hearts and lives, and you pray that wherever this message goes forth, that God would use it, that God would anoint it, that God would speak and minister at the very point of need. Father, we thank you this morning for the privilege just to stand in this pulpit to open the Word of God, and thank you this morning for the power of your Word. And Lord, we're asking you to help us this morning. We need your help. We need your guidance. And we pray that you would be exalted. And God, that you would take your word and minister as it is needed in hearts and lives. Lord, as I preach this morning, there's somebody that is listening in that they have never been born again. And God, you've been drawing them. It's not by accident that they're listening in today. And I pray, God, you would use your word uh, to just spark uh, by your spirit into that heart uh, a new birth. 
And Lord, I pray this morning, there's, uh, there's your children, uh, that they need some answers today. And I pray, God, that you would give answers. And, and Lord, help us this morning. Give us a heart and an attitude of prayer, we pray in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. And you may be seated this morning. Uh, again, that statement in verse number five, uh, but prayer. It was recently that I preached from the book of Ephesians chapter number two, and in verse number four, where the Bible says, but God, who is rich in mercy for his great love wherewith he, he loved us. And, and we saw in Ephesians chapter two, how man had so sinned against God, that man is dead in sin, that he is uh, depraved, that he has been disobedient unto God and ultimately doomed but despite that, God moved. God offered to sinful man salvation. And it's always God that reaches down first unto man. And when God moves, God changes things. And we saw in that passage of Scripture how God intervened in the hearts and lives of men and how God can take a sinful man and it does not matter where that man has been or how far from God he has been or how deep into the depths of sin he has been. Uh, the Lord, by his grace, but God, can reach down and make that individual a trophy of his grace. Well, this morning we're going to look at this thought, but prayer. You see, prayer changes things. Prayer changes the destiny of souls. Uh, prayer changes the direction of nations. Uh, prayer changes the hearts of men. Uh, prayer changes the hearts of a home. Uh, prayer changes the heart of the church. And when God's people pray, captives are set free. Uh, enemies are confounded. When God's people pray, heaven comes down. And when God's people pray, the impossible can take place. And when man comes to the end of himself, God can intervene. And so this local church in Jerusalem, I like to call it the First Baptist Church of Jerusalem, was a praying church. They understood the importance of prayer. Uh, we could back up to Acts chapter 1, and we find of this church that they prayed in the upper room after Christ had ascended into heaven. They were looking for the power of God upon their life. And then in Acts chapter 2, as they were praying on the day of Pentecost, the Bible tells us that the Holy Spirit empowered them to fulfill the Great Commission. And we have on that day of Pentecost, 3,000 saved and baptized and added unto that church. If you go back with me to Acts chapter 4 and verse number 31, we have another instance of prayer in this church. In Acts chapter 4, verse number 31, the apostles have been persecuted, imprisoned for preaching the gospel. And we read in verse number 31 of Acts 4, And when they, speaking again of this church, had prayed, the place was shaken, where they were assembled together, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and they spake the word of God with boldness. And so God intervened on the basis of their prayer. As they prayed, God moved. And we go to Acts chapter 5. And verse 14, where the word of God says believers were the more added to the Lord multitudes, both of men and women. Then we go to Acts chapter 6, and there was a little dissension that arose in the church. Uh, the Bible tells us in verse number 4 of the apostles, they would give themselves continually to prayer and to ministry of the word. And then we read in Acts 6, verse number 7, the result of that, the word of God increased and the number of the disciples was multiplied in Jerusalem greatly, and a great company of the priests were obedient 
to the faith. God worked in answer to the prayer. And so in Acts chapter number 12, it was natural for the church to pray. James was martyred, and now Peter was in prison, and it looked to, to be impossible for Peter. And so we read that statement in Acts 12 and verse number 5, but prayer was made without ceasing uh, of the church unto God for him. I want to break this passage down this morning and, and just show the importance of prayer and make some application to you and I here today. Uh, we see, first of all, the desperate situation. Uh, back again to verse number 1, Acts chapter 12, and, and we read of Peter's danger. Now, about that time, Herod the king stretched forth his hands to vex certain of the church. And we know this is Herod Agrippa I. He's the grandson of Herod the Great that we read about in the uh, Gospel of Luke chapter number 2. Uh, he persecuted the church. The Bible said he killed, in verse number 2, James, the brother of John, with the sword. And so James becomes the first martyr here of this church in Jerusalem. Now we're speaking here of a local church as we read of this church in Jerusalem. And James has been martyred by Herod. In verse number 3, And because he saw it pleased the Jews, he proceeded further to take Peter also. Then were the days of unleavened bread. Uh, Herod was seeking to gain favor of the Jews. Uh, seeing that it pleased them that James was killed, he sought to take the life of Peter. Now, really an interesting contrast, really, before I get into the message here. God allowed James to die, but God delivered Peter. God's ways are always beyond man. There's no doubt both James and Peter love the Lord. I've seen in cases of cancer where God healed some, but he allowed others to be taken. And in both instances, God was glorified. Now, I believe God was glorified in the death of James, and God was glorified in the deliverance of Peter. Now, in the passage, read with me verse number 4. We read here of Peter's bondage. And when he had apprehended him, he put him in prison and delivered him to four quaternions of soldiers to keep him, intending after Easter to bring him forth to the people. Now you get the picture here. Peter is placed in maximum security. Four quaternions of soldiers, 16 soldiers. We know in the passage at least two chains. Uh, there were the keepers of the prison. There were iron gates. There were two wards. Maximum security. There was no opportunity, no chance of escape. Humanly, it was impossible. Herod knew the popularity of Peter, and Herod would make certain that nobody would come and spring Peter out of that prison house. And so he put him into the deep, dark depths of that prison. He held him captive in that prison, and his desire was to execute Peter as he had done to James and would do so after Easter or after the Jewish Passover. I believe in this passage, God is giving us a beautiful picture. Now, Satan has a lot of people bound in chains of sin. Now, Satan holds them, we might say, in maximum security. They have no hope of escaping, no opportunity. There are many types of chains, many types of satanic strongholds. Uh, we deal right here in our valley with uh, addictions. 
uh, alcohol, uh, cocaine, uh, heroin. I spoke not long ago with somebody struggling under that addiction of heroin and their description, just the bondage, and uh, they recognize this is beyond me. I have no power. I have no ability to get out of this chain. I'm in bondage. I'm taken captive by the enemy. I've spoken with those that are addicted to pornography. Uh, they're in the chains of Satan. I remember years ago knocking doors uh, and knocked on a home, and this gentleman came to the door, introduced myself, told him who I was, and what I was doing, and, and this gentleman cried out, and he said, you don't know what I'm doing, but he said, I'm, I'm in the house now watching pornography, and he said, I've wanted to get free from this, but I'm in bondage, and I don't know how to get free from the chain. And I've talked to those that are under the addiction of gambling. It's a bondage, it's a chain. And some have said that addiction of gambling is even stronger than the addiction to alcohol or to drugs. And so an addiction, a satanic stronghold. Uh, some are under religious chains, religious bondages. Uh, generation to generation to generation, this bondage, this blindness, this spiritual blindness has passed on to others. Uh, there are some that are in the bondage of bitterness. And uh, that bitterness grips their heart. That bitterness destroys the joy of their life. Uh, there are some that are like the prodigal son. Uh, they've made sinful choices. They've wandered to the far country. They're far away from God. They're far away from their church. They're far away from family. And if they've not arrived there yet, they're on the road to the hog pen. And they may not even realize the depths of their bondage and chain and addiction. The situation is desperate. We minister in a lost world. And there are multitudes surrounding us that are headed for eternal death. And there's no hope of freedom apart from a miracle of God, the working of God in the life. And they are guarded by Satan's demons, and Satan does not easily let go. And as I preach here this morning, maybe you know of somebody. They're taken captive. Maybe it is you yourself, and you find yourself under those chains, desperate situation. As we read in our passage of Scripture, there's the determined intercession. Again, verse number five, in this desperate situation, there was determined intercession. Peter, therefore, was kept in prison, but prayer was made without ceasing of the church unto God for him. In the book of James, we read the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Prayer changes things. What man could not do, God could do in answer to prayer. Now we read in verse number five that they prayed unceasingly, without ceasing, as the word of God says. Seems that they had a 24-hour prayer chain. This church gathered in homes. We know of that to, to be the case because they gathered in the home of Mary. And they're praying for Peter. And I'm reminded of Luke chapter 18, verse number 1, as, as Jesus spoke the parable uh, to illustrate that men ought always to pray and not to faint. As I read this passage of Scripture, I thought about the, the current situation and the uh, current circumstances, and it's, it's my hope that the circumstances will, will draw us as a church, Valley Bible Baptist Church, to a, a spirit of prayer. 
They prayed without ceasing, and that's what the Bible tells us uh, to constantly. We ought to pray a spirit of unceasing prayer. They prayed fervently. It's evident in the context that they uh, had a fervency in their prayer. This was not just a, a flippant prayer, not just a lay-me-down-to-sleep prayer. This was a prayer of fervency. Reminds me of the Lord Jesus Christ in the Garden of Gethsemane, as he prayed, Father, not my will, but thine be done. And in the fervency of that prayer, the Bible tells us the Lord sweated, as it were, drops of blood. That was the fervency of his prayer. And, and I get the picture of this church in Jerusalem. They, they love Peter. They don't want Peter to be taken away from them. And fervently, they're seeking the face of God. They have this sense of urgency. Uh, James has already been martyred. Uh, Peter would be very soon. He was just around the corner and fervently, urgently, they brought that need to God. In studying the history of great movements of God, there was always a sense of urgency and fervency in prayer. I love the account of the early 1900s, a great movement of God. Edinburgh Baptist Chapel began with a widow woman. She was burdened for her church in Edinburgh, Scotland. Most of the young people in that church were unconverted. And she looked around, there was no evidence of a walk with God, and there was a worldliness about their lives. And she saw the urgency, and God began to burden her heart, and she knew that if they were not saved, that they would soon face eternity, and they would face the judgment of God. And, and so she prayed. And as this widow woman began to pray, God stirred in the hearts of others within that church. And then prayer meetings began to rise within that church. And God worked in might and in power. And, and soon hundreds of life-changing conversions. And uh, many of those that had lived the worldly lifestyle, no evidence of Christ, came to know Jesus Christ in a born-again relationship. Their lives were changed, but it began with the fervency of prayer. Friend, if we could only grasp the need today. Uh, apart from a heaven-sent revival, we've lost our nation. And apart from the movement of God, multitudes of our children and grandchildren will die without the Lord Jesus Christ. I, I don't know if we understand the depths of the depravity and the direction of our nation, and, and, and what a need today to, uh, uh, to, to have that fervency, that urgency in prayer. They prayed without ceasing, unceasingly. They prayed fervently. But we read that they prayed corporately. Look again, verse 5. We read, but Peter, therefore, was kept in prison, but prayer was made without ceasing of the church unto God for him. This church joined together seeking God for the deliverance of Peter. That's the power of corporate prayer. I read of New Hope Baptist Church that where many members became burdened for the salvation of a young man that had grown up in the church but had never been saved. His name was Mike. And Mike grew up in the church never knowing the Lord Jesus Christ. 
God began to burden various ones of the church as they prayed. I want to read to you Mike's testimony. Mike had no idea that the church was praying for him. But he says, shortly after they began to pray for me, I began to feel empty and hollow inside. And this feeling intensified until I began to read the Bible and to ask the Lord to show me what to do. Uh, two weeks after the church began to pray for Mike, Mike was gloriously saved in a church service. I'm thoroughly convinced that if we would corporately pray for the souls of men, uh, we could experience exactly what this church experienced in the salvation of Mike. Uh, when we pray for others, the Spirit of God moves. It's as if as that church prayed, God put a circle around Mike and begin to draw Mike by his spirit to salvation. When we pray for others, the Spirit of God moves in ways that we cannot see or cannot understand. And my longing is that God would raise up determined intercession as he did here in the church in Jerusalem. Uh, that we might look at the situation. That we might take this situation with the coronavirus and, and the closing of churches and the concerns about a governmental overreach. That it might be said, but prayer was made without ceasing of Valley Bible Baptist Church. And Valley Bible Baptist Church, we're going to need the wisdom of God, the guidance of God, and the direction of God for the future. Uh, that we might look around us and see the worldliness of many Christians and the spiritual bondage of multitudes that are around us and that we might say, but prayer was made without ceasing of Valley Bible Baptist Church. I'm thinking of some individuals that I know personally, some around me. They're in bondage right now. They're blinded in their sin. They're soon to face eternity forever without the Lord Jesus Christ. And might it be said, but prayer was made on their behalf. So we have here this determined intercession. That brings us to the divine intervention. As we mentioned previously, real prayer moves the hand of God. As God moved into the situation, read with me verse number 6. We see that there was a peace. And it reads, and when Herod would have brought him forth, the same night, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains. And the keepers before the door kept the prison. Uh, here Peter was soon to be martyred the very next day, but Peter was asleep. The night before he was to be killed, he's asleep. It's evident he's right with God. He's in perfect peace. See, Peter had witnessed the resurrected Lord Jesus Christ. He had spoken with the resurrected Lord. He knew that death had no power. He knew the sting of death was gone forever and ever because of the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. I believe as the church prayed, there was a difference in the life of Peter. God removed his burden. We were recently praying for a situation and the individual that we were praying for in their circumstances said to me later, uh, during that time, God gave me a perfect peace. And I'm thoroughly convinced it's because of the prayer of God's people. So in Peter's case, there was a peace. Look in verse number 7. There was a presence. And it reads, Behold, the angel of the Lord came upon him, and a light shined in the prison. 
And so God sent an angel to Peter. We might say this was a guardian angel. You'll read several instances in the Bible where God sent his angel. Love the story of Daniel. Daniel in the lion's den. Daniel, as the king Darius came the next morning to check on him, Daniel stated to the king, My God sent his angel, and has shut the lion's mouths, and they have not hurt me. And so Daniel spoke of that angel that protected him. Paul, Acts 27, was aboard a ship. The Bible tells us there was no hope of their salvation. All hope that they should be saved was taken away. It was dark, it was stormy, and day after day there was neither sun nor stars. And hopeless situation, Paul went below deck to pray. Paul then comes above deck to give this testimony, Acts 27, verse 23. For there stood by me this night the angel of God, whose I am and whom I serve. Hebrews chapter 1, verse number 14, uh, describing this ministry of the angels, said, Are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for them who shall be heirs of salvation? You see, in this cold, dark dungeon, uh, God sent to Peter, I believe, an answer to the prayer of the church. God sent an angel uh, who was there in his presence. Notice in verse 7, And a light shined in the prison. In that dark prison cell, God showed up. Uh, the answer to the fervent prayers of the church in Jerusalem. And so there was a presence, there was a peace. And then there was a prompting. Uh, look in verse number 7 again. The latter part of the verse speaks of this angel. The angel of the Lord came upon him, and a light shined in the prison. And he smote Peter on the side. And raised him up, saying, Arise, go quickly. And his chains fell off from his hands. The angel awakened Peter. I, I chuckle when I read this. Uh, here, Peter, the angel smote him upon the side. And, and Peter uh, was awakened. He thought at first he was dreaming. But you look at the, the picture of this. So it must be. See, much of the world is asleep. Unaware of their lostness. And God's Spirit must awaken the soul. God's Spirit must awaken that life uh, to see their need. I was reading the testimony of Charles Spurgeon. Uh, Charles Spurgeon expressed he was raised in a Christian home. Uh, he had been to church service after church service. Uh, he had heard the gospel a multitude of times. But he said, although I heard the gospel, it's as if I did not hear the gospel. And he said, it was not until that day that the Lord smote me, the Lord awakened me. Uh, I saw my lostness, and then for the first time, the truth of the gospel flooded my heart, flooded my life. And I'm thoroughly convinced there are a number of people, they've heard the truth, they've heard the gospel, but they've never been awakened. They have never seen the need of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so here is Peter, the angel awakened him. And then the angel directed Peter to safety. Again, read the latter part of verse 7. The angel smote Peter on the side, raised him up, saying, Arise up quickly. And his chains fell off from his hands. And the angel said unto him, Gird thyself, and bind on thy sandals. And so he did. And he saith unto him, Cast thy garment about thee, and follow me. And he went out and followed him, and wist not that it was true, which was done by the angel, but thought he saw a vision. 
And so now the angel is given direction unto Peter, directing him to safety. There was a presence, there was a prompting, and then there was a power. Back in verse number 7, the last sentence, his chains fell off his hands. Some of you could give that testimony when you got saved, how God worked a miracle, how God delivered you from chains of addiction, chains of bitterness, chains of religion. Those chains uh, fell off. Uh, what you could not do, God did. Uh, when it was beyond your power, beyond your ability, God brought deliverance. God worked a miracle. In verse number 10, not only did the chains fall off, but the gates were opened. When they were past the first and second ward, they came unto the iron gate that leadeth unto the city, which opened to them of his own accord. And they went out and passed on through one street and fought with the angel departed from him. See, God set the captive free. When a church prays, the chains fell off. When a church prays, the gates were opened. And I believe when a church prays, God can bring deliverance and the gates of hell can release the prisoners. So that's the divine intervention. I want you to look in verse number 11 with me, verses 11 and 12. After God delivered Peter, we have the dumbfounding information. In verse number 11, And when Peter was come to himself, he said, Now I know of a surety that the Lord had sent his angel, had delivered me out of the hand of Herod, and from all the expectation of the people of the Jews. And when he had considered the thing, he came to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose surname was Mark, where were many, or where many were gathered together uh, praying. God delivered Peter from the hand of Herod. Herod had evil intentions. And then God delivered Peter from the expectation of the Jews. They saw Peter as a bitter enemy. Uh, they knew that if they could deal with Peter as they dealt with James, uh, that it would bring uh, a great halting in their mind to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, as this church is praying, we find here God brings deliverance. The church was dumbfounded. Read with me, beginning at verse 13. And as Peter knocked at the door of the gate, a damsel came to hearken, named Rhoda. And when she knew Peter's voice, she opened not the gate for gladness, but ran in and told how Peter stood before the gate. Now, you get the picture here. Here's Peter. He knocks on the gate to the house. Rhoda comes to the gate. Inside, many are praying for Peter and for his deliverance. Rhoda hears Peter. Rhoda sees Peter. Instead of opening the gate, she runs back in and she gives the testimony that Peter is there. Verse 15, they said unto her, Thou art mad, but she constantly affirmed that it was even so. They said, or then said they, It is his angel. But Peter continued knocking. And when they had opened the door, they saw him. Notice this, they were astonished. And he, beckoning unto them with the hand to hold their peace, declared unto them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. And he said, Go show these things unto James and to the brethren. And he departed and went into another place. I've always thought God has a sense of humor. Here they are praying for the deliverance of Peter. 
God hears their prayer. They have just a grain of faith. God brings Peter to the door. They're praying for his deliverance. And now they see Peter. They're astonished that God answered the prayer. You ever done that? I was just recently praying with Brother Darrell, Miss Brenda. We were praying for something specific. We asked the Lord for something specific. And within an hour, God answered that prayer. And I have to, to admit, I was dumbfounded. It, it was hard to believe. It was surreal and hard to believe. God heard that prayer, immediately answered that prayer. And I find in this, God works sometimes despite us. It's not because of us. It's despite us so often. And God worked in this case with Peter, uh, despite the church. Uh, look in verse number 18. Not only was the church dumbfounded, but the soldiers were dumbfounded. Now, as soon as it was day, there was no small stir among the soldiers. What was become a beater? These are trained professionals. Sixteen soldiers, keepers of the prison, the doors and gates are locked, impossible, and suddenly Peter has disappeared from their midst. How did it happen? A testimony as to God's power. And then Herod was dumbfounded, verse number 19. And when Herod had sought for him and found him not, he examined the keepers and in the eyes of Herod. Surely this was an inside job. There's no other testimony of it. And he commanded that they should be put to death. And in that culture, if a, if a soldier allowed a prisoner to escape, uh, whatever the consequence that was coming to that prisoner would pass on to that soldier. And in this case, Herod was to put Peter to death. When Peter escaped, now death is given to the soldiers. But we read on here, and he went down from Judea to Caesarea and there abode. You see, God checkmated the Jews. God checkmated Herod. Uh, his plans fell through, and despite all of his efforts, despite all of his ability to, uh, to cage Peter, to put him in maximum security, God intervened despite the efforts of man. It so embarrassed uh, Herod that he left Judea, went to Caesarea. I want to, to this morning kind of wrap up really some important thoughts in this. You see, there are some today that through the events of the coronavirus are being drawn to Christ. Uh, some have been gloriously saved. Uh, genuine conversions. Uh, there have been some that have been awakened, so to speak, because of the events surrounding them. And through all of these events, they've seen their need of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's been precious uh, to hear the testimony and to have experienced and witnessed uh, some genuinely calling upon the Lord and the changes in their life. Uh, there are others that, that were already saved, but as they look around, they've been alerted and it's time to wake up and, and thank the Lord for a new surrender to the Lord Jesus Christ. But there's no doubt that as these events are taking place, there are those that desire to take the current circumstances and shut the mouths of God's people, uh, to put the people of God in a prison house, uh, to accomplish, so to speak, a left-wing agenda, to close churches and small businesses and to close the heart and, and the mind of man. But we could go to this passage of Scripture and we could read, but prayer 
was made. May the Lord draw us to our knees. You see, I believe prayer is the difference. Prayer is the trumping factor. And, and we may look at circumstances around us, and it may seem to be impossible, but prayer can make the difference. And it, it's my desire and my longing, and I, I preached this this morning, that Valley Bible Baptist, we might be challenged to have the mind and the heart of this church in Jerusalem. And as we will look about us and see the circumstances, things beyond us, yet not beyond God, that prayer would be made unceasingly, fervently, and corporately. Uh, we understand this morning the churches have a great need to meet. Uh, the Bible tells us in Hebrews chapter 10, uh, we begin at verse 23, and, and the Word of God tells us as we see the day approaching, and, and we could look around and see the day approaching, and then we read in verse 25, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of, of some is. We understand. Uh, we need each other. Uh, we need that fellowship one with another. It's kind of like taking a coal from off of the fire. And, and that coal, you take it away from the fire, that coal soon dies down. And, and it's been my prayer through all of this time. And, and folks, you've done such a wonderful job just keeping up with our services. But, but I understand we need that fervency. We need that, uh, that corporate meeting together. We need the fellowship one with another. And, and, and we know the importance of that as we look to the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and, and it's my concern that uh, some will slip through the cracks and that our van ministry and Sunday school classes and some of the young people and some of the children, because they have not this, uh, might slip through the cracks. And, and, and yet we read in our passage of Scripture, but prayer was made without ceasing, that that might be our heart and our desire. May we see God do something that there's no explanation for it other than God did it. God did it despite man. Uh, the church in Jerusalem could look at the situation and they, as they would witness Peter and hear his voice and see his presence, uh, they would have to say it was God. It was nothing that we did. It was God. And that God might do something that even a lost world might look at and say, how do you explain this? That they might be dumbfounded. There's no other explanation for it other than God did it. And in reality, every time a soul is saved, it's God that did it. I read the testimony of Ricky. He was lost. He was far from God. He was living in wickedness, seemed day by day that he got further from God. And, and Ricky's wife went to her pastor and said, Pastor, the situation is, is desperate. My husband is, is going deeper and deeper and deeper into sin. And, and the pastor and the wife coveted it together to pray for Ricky. And God began to work. God put a circle around Ricky. Everywhere Ricky would go, uh, somebody from that point would testify to him. Later he would give testimony, I would go to work and somebody would come into my workplace and they would quote verses or they would tell a testimony. He said, there was one man that continued to ask me the question, have you been born again? And he would state to me, you must be born again. And he said, on, on one occasion I was with a friend riding in a truck. I was the passenger in that truck. And he said, one of his friends came to, the, to my window and spoke across me 
to my friend who was driving the, the vehicle and, and said to my friend, you must be born again. And he said, everywhere I was going, God uh, was just, uh, it was like a hound after me. God was chasing me. He said, God showed up everywhere. That's the testimony of Ricky. After two months, the pastor, his wife, uh, the pastor and Ricky's wife had been praying. After two months, Ricky cried out to God. And he said, Lord, I don't know what you're doing, but I know this. I'm lost. I'm on the road to hell. And Lord, I, I need you. And I know that you love me and that you died for me. And Ricky cried out to the Lord. He was gloriously saved and God has raised him up. Later became a pastor and, and a servant of the Lord. It was a miracle. There was no explanation for it other than God did it. We need God's intervention today. We need God's working. We need revival. We might say in, in a sense that like Edinburgh Baptist Chapel years ago, the early 1900s, we might say Valley Bible Baptist Church, we need the touch of God. We need the touch of God in churches and homes across America. Uh, we need the Lord today to open doors of witness, And we recognize in our account that, that God, because of the prayers of this church, God checkmated Herod and God checkmated those that would hold Peter in prison, would harm Peter. And we need the work of God in such a way today. I believe that's an answer to prayer. I want to close by having you look with me in this context at Acts 12 and verse number 24. You see, the situation at the beginning of the chapter was desperate. And we read here that the church began to intercede without ceasing. We read that God divinely intervened. God delivered Peter. Here is the result. He confounded Herod. And the result in verse 24, Acts 12, but the word of God grew and multiply. See, that's what happens when a church prays. That's what we pray for. We long that God would be exalted and uplifted in circumstances that are beyond us, that the Lord would be glorified. And Brother Matoya preached not long ago that God's word is not bound. And so it is. God's word is never bound. There is a power in the word of God. There is a power in God's working. And there is a power when God's people will take God seriously and fervently, unceasingly, and corporately begin to pray. Valley Bible Baptist, I'm calling us to prayer. I'm calling us to seek the face of God. To seek the wisdom of God, the touch of God, the direction of God. There are steps and things that we will be embarking upon in the near future. And we need God. We need His wisdom. We need His direction. And so my challenge is that we would come and seek the Lord. Wherever you are, as you listen to this message, may I ask that our heads would be bowed.